This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Here again today, teaching you how to divest of park-owned homes, but giving you the pros and cons of all the strategies. As a recap, the last episode, we covered Dodd-Frank Act and the SAFE Act. I'm not going to re- get into the weeds too much here. But uh, the options for park-owned homes, to, to divest of them, obviously, sell cash, sell through a bank. You can rent them, but then you're not you're not getting rid of them, obviously. You can do a rent-to-own or lease-to-own, you could do which gets rid of them on terms. You could do a contract for deed. You could do a lease with an option to purchase. You could do a rent credit. And all these strategies help you decrease the percentage of park-owned homes, which makes you better able to get an agency, which would be a Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae loan, also a CMBS loan. So that's a lot, for a lot of folks, that's the holy grail, is to have non-recourse agency debt and have no park-owned homes. So how do we get there? How do we get there legally? So renting the home, that's pretty much the blocking and tackling. Everybody knows what that means, right? You rent the home, you own the home. It's clear you own the home. Pros, you get more rent. Cons, you have more maintenance responsibility. Cons, it's harder to get a bank loan on, you know, personal property, and it's harder to get an agency loan. Another con would be it takes more of your energy, more brain damage, so it makes it less likely you're going to be able to uh, expand and buy more parks. Also, less likely you're going to have the cash to buy anything because parkland homes require cash infusion. At a minimum, a down payment with a lender. A lot of times, parkland home requires... Um, just straight cash because you can't get a loan on it. Now, there's some exceptions to that. Like 21st Mortgage will finance 100% of the home. But if they put it in the rental program, they often want, there's some fees they don't charge. And then they, they, charge, they charge a decent amount of fees and points and stuff. So there's some more cons to doing a rental. But you know, I own park-owned homes. So I'm not saying no park-owned homes. Okay, so today we're going to cover more of the rent-to-own, lease-to-own. What, what does this look like? This is basically, hey, you're a renter. Over time, you're going you're gonna to own this house. That could That could look like... Hey, you're putting $1,000 down and you're going to pay monthly rent? It could look like you're just paying monthly rent. Um, I bought a park where the, the previous guy had a 30-year amortization rent-to-own. So I inherited all these all these contracts, which, by the way, I should have covered that in the last episode. But based, if you inher- the general rule, I think, right now in the law is if you inherit these contracts, um, you didn't originate them, so you're not going to be penalized from them. Now, some operators and some lenders require you to divested them like immediately um so that can be pretty scary getting a violation of the dodd-frank and safe act would be scary uh, i'm unaware of the enforcement mechanism that is actually out there convicting people so when i get into these other strategies at least own contract for deed rent credit lease with option to purchase all of these i think would be technically illegal now do i know some folks that uh, are operating and doing these strategies yes uh, I have several clients that operate with these, quote, illegal strategies, despite my advice. Um, and, and, and I can help them draft legal documents to mitigate their risk. I have some practical strategies to help mitigate their risk. But is there risk of, Dodd, of Dodd-Frank Act or Safe Act coming back and biting them in the butt? Yeah, possibly. Now, some good news is uh, 
current administration, President Trump and Secretary Carson, don't seem to have a problem with the law, uh, with enforcing the law. They don't. They don't think it's even valid, is what I've heard. Now they haven't uh, repealed the law, so maybe I'll maybe I need to call out Ben Carson here, who generally I think is doing a pretty good job, um, but he hasn't repealed this law. So for for our industry, he hasn't done as good a job as I would have liked. So I'm going to tag him when I post this podcast, and maybe maybe I can get him on this podcast. That'd be pretty cool. Um, I think he's a pretty good guy, so it'd be fun to talk to him. Okay, Ben Carson, sidebar, you just got a shout-out and a call-out. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled programming. What the heck is a rent-to-own? Um, is that a violation of Dodd-Frank? I think it's going to depend. Is it a financing? Is there If, if, it's, a, if it's a typical typical financing, the borrower is generally puts down some down payment and or at a minimum is required to make long-term, typically long-term, payments towards a purchase. So if your leased own says that if they miss a payment, they're going to lose some of their prior money, that would probably qualify as a disguised mortgage and probably be in violation of Dodd-Frank and Safe Act. If your leased own says that the occupant is required to pay for maintenance, which is probably why you're doing that, to be honest, um, then that may not be a Dodd-Frank violation, but that's probably a violation of some other warranty of habitability or some other general landlord-tenant requirement. Like, landlords can't just contract away and paper it so that they don't have to do any maintenance. Now, does that happen? Yeah, and I have several clients that do that, too. If you want to know who those clients are, uh, any of them that don't pay their legal bill, I'm actually going to post those. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not going to expose them. Okay, so rent-to-own... Yeah, I mean, it's illegal, but people do it, right? So there's pros and cons. Okay, contract for deed. What is a contract for deed? A contract for deed for basically, it's similar, but it's you typically will get a down payment, say 15 or 20%, and then you have an amortization, such as you know, three, four, five, six years, and the, the, quote, buyer is required to A, pay lot rent, and B, pay a contract for deed payment. Upon successful payment of the contract for deed payment, they then get title to the home. If they default at some point along the way, they have forfeit their down payment, and they forfeit any principal payments. So the, the contract for deed renter would pay the landlord lot rent, which would probably be a different entity. That would probably be your land entity. Um, it's the lot rent. The home rent or home payment would come to the home's LLC, and that would, home payment would include principal, interest, and then typically a reimbursement for property taxes on the personal property and insurance. Because if I'm the owner selling this home, on terms, I'm going to want to make sure it's insured, so I'm going to have it in my name, have title in my name. I'm also going to require that upon payment of the last payment, the home cannot be moved out of my park for X number of years, maybe three, four, five years. In my lot lease, by the way, I have a right of first refusal that if people try to move out or try to sell it, I have a right to at least try to buy it. And there's some restrictions on that as well. So from a contract for deed, is that also illegal? Yeah, technically, probably. Um... I don't know anybody's been stung, but it could definitely happen. So I'm not going to be your lawyer and say, it's risk-free. Um, but if you want me to draft a contract for deed, I have a template that I have revised. And I've, inco- I've included in an exhibit some guidelines from Dodd-Frank. So these, in Safe Act, these guidelines were never really promulgated into law. They were just kind of like, here's some suggestions. Things like, and, and things like, don't be a jerk. That's kind of the general rule. Like, don't charge an exorbitant amount of interest. It was gray what that number was. So if it's five, six, seven, eight, nine percent, that's probably not too high considering the quality or clientele that we often deal with. If you charge fifty percent or five hundred percent, like some of these car loan guys are doing in Missouri, that's insane. 
that's immoral in my opinion, but also probably playing with some fire, so don't do that. So I would cap it at single digits. Also, don't have an adjustable rate. Also, don't have a balloon, meaning you have to, a balloon is like, hey, I got a 20-year amortization, which makes the payments low, but you got to pay it off in three years, which means you got to go get financed out elsewhere or come up the cash. So you're setting people up to fail, so don't be a jerk. So maybe you have something like a five-year fully amortizing loan at 9% with a fixed rate for the entire time. That seems more reasonable to me. Um, I would include some verbiage that both the seller and buyer desire for the sale of the home to include financing from the seller over the term of several years. I would implement and include in your paperwork procedures, the guidelines that guided us on things like reviewing the buyer's financial wherewithal, making sure they don't have a debt-to-income ratio of over 43%. Hmm, where did the number come from? Having you know a reasonable expectation based on income or assets to make the payments. Reviewing their employment status, looking at their pay stubs, maybe looking at their tax returns, making sure that the monthly payment is fixed, it's clear, it's 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 you know reasonable, and then look at their overall debt obligations like you know car payments, child, alimony, child support, and their and their overall credit history. A lot of that stuff you're going to do anyway, as part of evaluating and underwriting if you want them to be a resident in your mobile home park. So that's kind of a mitigation strategy, if you will, is to put you know some key terms in your contract for deed payment um, or in your your lease option to purchase or in your lease to own and then the lease to uh, lease with the option to purchase what is that that's basically hey you're just a renter you're just leasing it oh but if you buy it you you, you'll if if you lease for so many terms you pay so many much a month one day we're gonna give you the home the way i typically see these and i've seen some templates from other folks i think it's a disguised mortgage to be honest um if you if you have something up front that's that's you can call it whatever you want you can call it a down payment you can call it an option fee you can call it a pink you know flamingo doesn't matter what you call it it's what does it look like and how does what does it act like it looks like a duck quacks like a duck it's probably a duck okay if it's non-refundable it feels like a down payment if it's applicable towards the purchase price feels like a down payment if the monthly amount that they pay to you no matter how you slice it up, if it feels like it was calculated based on some form of amortization, feels like a monthly principal and interest payment, all of that means it feels like a mortgage, which means you're supposed to be a mortgage loan originator. So I've seen, I see people get cute all the time with this. Um, if you ever get called to the carpet, which I don't, again, I don't know anybody that has, but if you ever do, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, bank on that protecting you. So the safest option, but the, the, so the pros, by the way, the, the lease with the option to purchase and or the country deed, and or the rent on, whatever, whichever you do, the pros of using those strategies is you're going to have non-refundable money up front, which means you're finding somebody who is more committed. I like to say, you know, they're a little bit pregnant. You know, you're a little bit pregnant, you're pregnant, okay? And they're, they're committed, they're more likely to buy. Versus just a renter, there's not a lot of commitment. A renter where, oh, one day you may, you may buy, or one day we may convert it, they're not as committed. So these other strategies, especially if you have, and I see people also on these strategies, they have like the last, like after so many months, the payment's like a dollar or zero. Okay, that's a disguised mortgage. You're just back into amortization. Don't, don't fool yourself. So what's the safest way to divest these homes other than, of course, the, the cash sale or the bank finance sale? The safest way is probably the rent credit. The, the debt, that's, that's the pro, obviously. It's, it's most likely. It's been held up in a few states. It's, I think it's been been dinged up on a couple states as well, but not, I think it was Maryland, can't remember the case, but not to the level that some of these other areas could be. And that was dinged up, I guess, by a state uh, state act, not by the federal government. But again, states are pretty scary too, right? 
So the rent credit basically says, I'm giving the tenants back some of their money. I'm rebating it. So I utilize the rent credit program, and 21st Mortgage lets you do it. So I just I just closed on one this morning, actually, where the occupant needed something like, I think it was 4500 bucks to get in the to get the loan purchased. That was the down payment. Well, the guy wanted to buy the house, but he only had 2000 bucks. So back in the day, before the financial crisis, what, 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 what shady people would do is they'd say, hey, you're short on the... Uh, the down payment. Here, tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna up the price by three grand, whatever it takes, and I'm gonna hand you three thousand dollars cash. And now you have the down payment. Congratulations! I win. I got the price I wanted, and after because we upped it three thousand, and then I gave you three thousand, I got the net price I want. You got what you wanted, the house. You got a three thousand bigger mortgage, so your you know purchase price. So you got a little bit more mortgage payment, but you got in the house, and you've been by buying. You're gonna get equity. You're gonna save all that kind of stuff. So you want to buy. Everybody wins. Well, who doesn't win? The lender. We defrauded the lender. That's called bank fraud, guys. Don't do that. Okay, we defraud the lender because they thought they were lending to a, a kind of guy that had five grand laying around. When the guy had two grand laying around and I fraudulently gave him some money. So 21st Mortgage is super anal about that, which I think is good. And they require you to show proof of down payment. They say, look at the bank statements you know, of, of the borrower for several months preceding the down payment. <clears throat> but in this example, in my one of my parks here in Kansas City, the guy didn't have five thousand bucks, so what I could have I had to say, okay, go away, or I'd say, oh, I can rent it. I don't want to rent it. He didn't want to rent it, so we said, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna get you in here today as a renter, but we both know we're gonna work like heck to get you out of here as a renter and into the home buyer as soon as we can. So the payment all in for lot rent, principal, interest, tax, insurance, if he was a buyer, was about eight hundred bucks. So I said, I want you to be motivated to get over the finish line. So here's what I'm going to do. Your rent's going to be 950. So you're motivated to get to the 800 level instead of 950. So what I'm going to do though, I'm going to give you back that 150, and I'm actually going to give you the lot rent's 375. So anything above the lot rent is considered home portion rent. So 950 minus 375 means I've got 575 of extra home rent. I can rebate that back as a rent credit. So what I did was I waited. It took a, it took about five months. But that's five months is two thousand eight hundred seventy-five bucks. So I gave him rebated back whatever portion of that he needed. I gave it back to him, and I, I printed my tenant ledger off of Rent Manager, and I signed it and said rent credits of whatever the delta was two thousand five hundred bucks for this guy Eric. And as a result, Twenty First Mortgage knows where he got that down payment. He had two thousand from his checking account, and he got two thousand five hundred from me. And as a result, hey, he got financed. And I got the sale. He got to buy. He's, he's now saving 150 bucks a month starting November 1. Really good for him. For me, I got to sell the house. Really good for me, which helps me get my agency refinance loan, which is coming here uh, this upcoming 2021. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refinance that out. This was one of the last two or three homes I needed to do this conversion process to. So I regularly pound on my residence. Like every time I see this guy, literally every time I see this guy, I go, Hey, Eric, why are you paying so much, man? How about you start saving 150 bucks? You know, and I really don't do it to Eric because he was him and I were on this plan for five months. But I do it to the other guys. I, I still do it to him a little bit, like hey, stay on track, stay on track. But I do it to people who are just pure renters. I go, why are you renting, man? That's a sucker's game. Build some equity, get some pay, do some principal pay down, lower your payment. Okay, so this rent credit conversion strategy works really well, and because a lot of people don't, they've never lived in a trailer, they they don't know if they like the neighborhood, so they just they just can't commit. And I get that, so I say, tell you what. Live here for six months. In six months, 
You'll know if you like it. You'll know if you like the house. You'll know if you like the neighborhood. At that time, we'll talk again. And I pound on them every time I see them, all these guys. And I pretty much memorize all the status of all my residents, and I see them and all that kind of stuff. So um, and I, I visit the parks fairly regularly. And they think I'm the manager, right? So don't share this podcast. But um, or don't share this podcast with them. Share it with people who are looking for legal business. I'm a pretty good lawyer. So... Anyway, the rent credit program is safer. The downside is there's not the down upfront down payment or commitment. And then depending on the borrower, like this guy Eric, he was bankable. He, he was able to be taken. I got to take it taken out of that loan in less than five months or right at five months. Some people, they can never be bankable. They don't have a regular job or they're on they're, they're in, their income ratios, you know, not enough for the bank or they got some other credit or they had a foreclosure three years ago. So you can use the rent credit program. At a, you can do it as long as you want, as far as I know. I mean, you could say, hey, rent credit, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you 200 bucks a month back for 10 years at the end of 10 years you can own a house um because they can bail that's going to be different than the other disguised mortgage strategies in, in my opinion um may not be bulletproof but i think it's pretty close um but it's more bulletproof than the other strategies but there's downsides so practically a lot of my clients make the decision to go for the contract for deed um the contract for deed i feel like is better than the least own um part of the reason for that um well, I'm not going to get into that today. That's a whole nother, There's a whole other. Okay, I'll do it. The contract deed on the on the land stuff is more confusing and as a buyer, you should never do it. I should probably write that down and do a, a separate podcast on that. But the contract for deed for a mobile home on the for you on the sales side, um, what I like to do with it if I draft papers, I, I make it a separate document. I make it a separate document than the lot lease. And where a lot of people do the lease to own, it's kind of in the same document. The reason I do that is if I was to evict a tenant, I'll just evict on the lot rent. Because they're, they're not paying the we're not paying the contract for deed provision. They're not paying the lot rent. And in my contract for deed, there's a cross default. Where if you default on the contract for deed, you're also defaulted on the lease. So that way they can't just say I'm paying one and not the other. But if I evict on the lot lease, here's how it typically goes in front of the judge. Yeah, dear tenant. Did you pay the lot rent in this amount as Ferd said you didn't? Well, no, but hammer. I win. And that all I talked about that day was the lot lease. As opposed to, dear tenant, under this lease with option to purchase, whereby you put down $2,500 and you have an amortization schedule of this and your debt-to-income ratio was X, and it was arguable if you were a good quality tenant buyer, and was this a bank? What about this bank stuff? What about that Dodd-Frank stuff? Well, now I'm having a conversation that I don't want to have. So just just get the lot rent eviction. Are you going to potentially lose out on some dollars on your judgment? Yeah, but I would like to find the person that actually got a judgment and a garnishment on an evicted tenant, and it worked out well for them. Because I've tried it, and the only person that wins is the attorney. And I've even found people where they work. I go to garnish their pay. They get pit, they, they leave jobs. They, they flip. They go to the next McDonald's. They go to the next concrete company. And I and I got I got garnishments out there. I got judgments out there. I've tried to attach to their tax returns. I've given to collection agents and collection attorneys. A lot of the collection agents now agencies now don't even do collections for purely rental debts. They do like you know medical payments and credit card bills and stuff. So it to me is not the juice ain't worth the squeeze to go after the garnishment. I get the possession. That's all I care about in an eviction. And evictions are pretty rare on lot deals. On home rents, you're pretty much in the apartment business. There's there's more evictions in the home business than in the land business. But anyway, that's the strategy that, that I like better, country would be overly stoned. The rent credit is safer, but it's 
it's harder to get higher quality tenants because if you the contract for deed, if you charge a big down payment like two three thousand bucks, you're screening out ninety plus percent of the potential buyers. But that's okay because you're screening out the tire kickers or the problem children. I charge depending on the state on the rent stuff. I do park on homes. I charge a double deposit. So like that nine hundred fifty dollar house, typically I would require if this guy Eric I had to make an exception because of. Uh, we were doing the rent credit stuff. And there's a separate set of documents, rent credit documents that you can do as an attachment or as a supplement to your, it'll be a supplement to your lease, not an attachment. Um, but on the park on homes, I even I even try to get a high down payment. Some states you want to do 1X, but I try to do 2X with the down payment if I can. Or Excuse me, I said down payment, I meant security deposit because it is refundable. You know, less damages and things like that. And late fees and other crap. So anyway, uh, lots of moving parts on this stuff. I'm kind of flying blind here. As I say flying blind, I'm just kind of going from memory, so I don't have all the statutory citations and that stuff memorized, and, and frankly, I just didn't think it was necessary. So here we go again. Dodd-Frank, Safe Act, can be scary. So try to sell cash, try to sell with bank terms, or rent. Those are those are all very safe. Not as safe, rent to own, lease to own, not, you know, also gray, contract for deed, also gray, lease with an option to purchase. Rent credit, it's, 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 it's only a little gray. Um, so that's a definitely a safer option. I, I, I just admitted here I'm doing rent credit myself, so hopefully I'm right. Put my money where my mouth is. Uh, no legal advice was given here today. This was merely for discussion. Uh, until next time, God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.